Egyptian pound hovers around a record low and Ghana private sector expands for the second month. From over 811 cities, 119 countries, Kush Investments brings you the Good Morning Africa podcast. Good Morning Africa and welcome aboard your pulse and everything business in Africa. I am Ruth Adong. For more, follow us on Twitter at The Care Financial and you can find me at Ruth Adong. Your main story is brought to you by Anne Bank PLC and Bank Rwanda. We are on your side. One of the biggest hurdles the private sector has had to deal with is access to finance. Large firms tend to benefit more from bank financing than small medium enterprises do as their track record and skill reduce their risk profile. Smaller newer companies and those in the informal sector often face higher borrowing costs if they're able to borrow at all. Damali Sani, the program's director at the Private Sector Foundation Uganda, in this episode discusses why it's important to create alternative pools of finance for the private sector. My name is Damali Sani. I am the Chief Programs and Projects Officer at Private Sector Foundation Uganda. As, as Private Sector Foundation Uganda, we are looking for growth for the private sector. So we're really thrilled to hear Mkutano, which whose theme this time is unlocking the potential of economic green zones for the private sector. So naturally, our interests were aligned. And I'm really also wanting to give credit to Masakat Foundation, who is also in this partnership, though they are not present, we are representing him. So in this partnership with Mkotano, it's both Private Sector Foundation, Mastercard Foundation, and Mkotano. And it's because the topic is so in sync with what we do. We're looking for economic growth for the private sector, private sector development. And uh, the country now has 22 industrial zones. These are special vehicles for the private sector to grow. But they have to be green to be sustainable. So, and uh, the private sector being the largest contributor to economic growth, to sustainability, to poverty reduction, to entrepreneurship, it drives everything. So naturally, this topic is very much aligned with what we do. So it made sense when Mokotano, you know, approached us and our conversation was aligned. So the private sector is a very wide, amorphous word. I, I, I am private sector even in my private life because I have a private enterprise, you see? So it's very wide in terms of strata, in terms of who is the private sector. So I would say that certain parts of the private sector may understand uh, this concept, some parts, but they are very few, they're very small. The few elite private sector may know what a green zone, an economic green zone is, but uh, I would say the majority doesn't. So this is a conversation that actually has to be broken down. We need to break it down to a point where any regular person to can understand what a green economic zone is or what a green economy is or what green growth is but at the moment of course we the, the words are still big the words are still being spoken in conferences the words haven't trickled down or the concept hasn't necessarily trickled down to the you know to the very bottom of what the private sector strata is but it's a beginning you know we always have to start somewhere a lot of these you know concepts start in academia then they move to private sector, they move to government, then they sit through. So I think now this concept has moved from academia to now government to the top strata of the private sector, but it needs to now go to the next levels. And conferences like this actually enable that they have that. The media you hear, you're going to now hopefully break it down for the regular common person and communicate it in a way that is uh, consumable, they can understand it, not in the huge big languages and big words. But at the moment, uh, there are some funds available. I think most of the 
reports of funding I see are mostly focused on renewable energy. They are then usually, if they in agriculture, they are focused on uh, uh, green agriculture, ensuring that you have you know at least a, a couple of trees intermingled with the with the thing. But they're still very very small scale. We need to look at green financing on a large scale. I know the Ministry of Finance right now is getting technical assistance from uh, FCDO, which is the UK government, on technical assistance so that they are, Uganda builds this capacity to tap into the climate finance, which is a big port of global finance to do with climate change, which can then be directed towards green growth. But those are the levels we are at. Then the amounts of money that are currently available for green growth or green finance, they're little. They're still not able to really catalyze green growth across in a, in a, in a large scale. In the, in the country. So those are things, that's a conversation we have to talk about. And if one of the things I've talked about is even apart from green finance, we need finance, period. You know, we need even regular finance, even finance that is not attached to greening. Uh, the private sector needs affordable, access to affordable finance. So at the moment you find that in, the, in our economy, uh, you find that there is finance, there are financing courts, you know, money is available in banks for you to access it. The problem is the affordability of that access. You may struggle to access it, but those who, people who are able to access it, it is too expensive. The rates are so high. So, yes, green finance is required, but even existing finance is too expensive. And that's a conversation uh, that I, I want us to also have. How do we lower the cost of finance in Uganda? The, uh, if you look at the policy aspects, government has done everything in terms of policy to try to lower the cost of finance. But we are free market economy. A bank can charge its interest rates despite what the government has done. So we are in this space where the interest rates are so high that the few people, the few people in the private sector who are able to access that finance can't even afford it. You know, our rate of return in your investment as a private sector is at 14%. But the interest rate on a loan you get to invest in that business is at 22%. It just doesn't make sense for you to even get it. You're immediately at a loss, even before you get into actual production. So we need to have that conversation and make sure that we do address it. And uh, as a private sector foundation, actually, one of the things that we've been doing for 20 years is talk about this cost of finance, cost of finance. But over the last two years, we've decided, you know what? Let's do something about it. So we've designed what we're calling the Private Sector Catalytic Fund. This fund is uh, supposed to avail capital to young people, to women, to youth. That doesn't require collateral, and that is patient. So if you're a young person who wants to grow coffee on a three-acre farm that maybe your dad has availed you land, we want to avail your capital without needing for you to bring a land title because you probably don't have it. It belongs to your father. But then also that it doesn't require you to start paying back. We're giving it to you this month and we require you to pay back next month. But the coffee tree takes three years to actually grow. So it will be taking into account the business model you're in, the sector you're in if you're in agriculture. Even when you're in tourism, your initial investment is going to take you three years for you to start recovering. So the catalytic fund is trying, that we are designing, is trying to address the challenge to get a Ugandan solution to a Ugandan problem in a Ugandan context that really takes care of that. Because now, if you go to a bank to borrow and you're a young person, because, I mean, almost 70% of our people are actually young people, 35 and below, it's going to be difficult for you to access it because you don't have a land title. But if you happen to be that, those few lucky ones that have a land title, or it's one of those solutions that is available in the bank that doesn't require you to have collateral, at 22%, you will not be successful. You actually not thrive. So we're trying to find a balance in middle ground. That's why we're 
designing this catalytic plan. I think what's really important is, and it's been touched on a little bit, is that we need to ensure that these uh, economic zones or industrial zones or whatever policy that we do, we need to ensure that it is uh, married or, or combined with policies that catalyze local domestic growth, right? So a lot of people right now don't know that the industrial parks are also available to local SMEs, local companies in Uganda that are Ugandan. They don't know that because that message, whatever has been talked a lot about or portrayed, is that it's a foreign company that comes to invest in Uganda that gets into the industries. So we need to make sure that we highlight disseminate that information, disseminate that information to know if you are a local company you can also access the industrial zone and these are the incentives you get because now the conversation is mostly around if you go to on the streets the conversation is that if you are a local company you don't get a tax incentive or any incentives and yet a foreign company does and yet there are incentives it's just that I don't they're not talked about they're not shared so people don't get this information so that's important I feel like that's a very important conversation to disseminate down that Ugandan companies can't actually access industrial parks and this is how they should access them and then also give examples of what Ugandan company that's actually in an industrial park so that we stop having this conversation that only a foreign companies actually have benefits say in an industrial park free zones authority only gives benefits to a foreign company they also give benefits just that we're not talking about it, but we need to if to be able to attract our companies in the in those zones. Then uh, the other point I wanted to talk about is that we need to also figure out a way or or attract this green finance that is looking at SMEs. SMEs are the last largest part of our economy. They employ the largest number of people. They are the ones that have the highest number of youth, the highest number of women. So if you're looking at inclusive economic growth, you should not ignore SMEs. But most times when we are talking about these large pots of financing uh, with the new buzzwords, they look at the big guys, you know. And I feel like we need to also blend it. That, yeah, we have certain green financing that will go to the big guys, you know, to scale because it's easy for them to scale. But also we need to find a way to avail green finance for the SMEs because they are the engines of the economy. So we need to ensure that that balance is very, very, very clear and we advocate for SMEs. We need to ensure they're not left behind. And because if they're left behind, it doesn't matter what you do with the large guys. The SMEs are the majority. So if they are not into green product production, sustainable production, you still won't save the environment because everyone is populating everywhere. If, if, if there's a, the green zones are greened, but the rest of the country production is not greened, then still we'll have an environmental disaster. And a quick look at the market. The market segment is powered by the Development Bank of Rwanda. We empower you. The Egyptian pound was trading around 30.85 per dollar, hovering at record lows amidst fear that the country's central bank might enact its fourth devaluation since March 2022. The currency has been hurt by a continued shortage of US dollars and a dire inflation outlook. The inflation rate in Egypt reached a five-year high of 31.9% in February and is expected to rise further in the near term. Even more pressure is coming from a looming review by the International Monetary Fund on the Egyptian economy after the extension of a $3 billion facility to Cairo last year. The bailout was conditioned by a permanent shift to a flexible exchange rate regime, as well as the implementation of a monetary policy aimed at gradually reducing inflation. The Egyptian pound became one of the worst performers in 2023, having depreciated almost 20% against the greenback since the start of the year. 
during 2020, the currency lost more than half its value. The Johannesburg Stock Exchange or Share Index fell about 1% to close at 76,656 after two straight sessions of advances, mainly pushed down by heavyweight tech stocks, miners and financials. Signs of a slowing global recovery and uncertainty around the direction of the monetary policies kept investors nervous ahead of the Easter holidays. Locally, Finance Minister Enoko Gondwana has withdrawn for now the controversial gazette, granting ESCOM a partial exemption from the Public Finance Management Act. Gudongwana said the Gazette was withdrawn pending detailed consultations with the Auditor General as well as ESCOM's auditors. Treasurer explained that the exemption was given for several reasons, but primarily to protect the embattled power utilities credit rating and audit opinion. On the data front, a PMI survey showed South African private sector economic activity returned to a contraction in March. In Tunisia, the annual inflation rate eased marginally to 10.3% in March from 104 in the prior month, but holding close to a four-decade high. There was a slight slowdown in prices of several CPI items such as transportation, furnishings and household equipment, miscellaneous goods, recreation and culture, restaurants and hotels and clothing and footwear, and alcoholic beverages and tobacco. On the other hand, prices accelerated farther for food and non-alcoholic beverages. On a monthly basis, consumer prices were up by 0.7% after increasing 0.5% in the previous month. The S&P Global Ghana PMI rose to 50.9 in March of 2023 from 50.2 in the prior month to signal expansion for the second month running from a 12-month sequence of deterioration. The rate of growth was more desperate one that was the most marked since the end of 2021 on the back of a solid increase in new orders. As a result, Business activity grew for a second month running as customer demand reportedly improved amid a more stable currency and softer inflation. The improved business environment prompted firms to expand staffing levels again and raise purchasing activity for the first time in almost a year. Also, suppliers' delivery times shortened to the greatest extent on record on the price front. Overall, input price inflation eased despite a slight pickup in pace at which farms increased their staff costs, selling prices rose at the weakest rate in 21 months, although the pace of charge inflation remained marked overall. Lastly, business confidence improved slightly. Thank you for always waking up with us. Good Morning Africa is a product of the K Financial. If you have any suggestions or you just want to check out more stories, visit the website that is thekfinancial.com and don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on all social media platforms at the K Financial and you can find me at Withadon.